You are listening to Our Urban Voices with Dr. Alphonse Javet, a podcast that presents Christian narratives through diverse voices that impact urban ministry. Here is your host. In this podcast, we cover everything from churches and church planting efforts, mission and missions organization evangelism, and unreached people groups, emerging movements and initiatives, justice, current events related to faith, and the persecutors to author interviews, and more. Let's get to it. Thank you so much for being here with us. Uh, and uh, I just want to... Um, give our audience a chance to get to know you a little better. Uh, so rather than I introduce you, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about your uh, um, ministry context, but definitely about your background, how you ended up here in New York or serving in uh, New York context. Go ahead, Ron. Okay. Uh my name is Ron Walborn. I'm the vice president and dean of Alliance Theological Seminary and Nyack College down in New York City. And uh, uh, we have been uh, down in New York City, uh, you know, completely uh, for the last two years. Uh, we used to have a campus up in Nyack, New York, but our campus is now completely exclusively in New York City to Washington uh, Street uh, down near Battery Park. And uh, the way I got into my position, uh, I was a church planter uh, for many years. I did my doctorate out at Fuller Seminary, uh, but I had a heart and a passion to teach. I began to teach at Simpson University um, back in the 90s, and then in 1999 moved to Nyack College to begin teaching. Uh, taught pastoral theology, pastoral ministries there for a few years, and then became the dean at the undergrad in 2004. And in 2008, I became the dean at Alliance Theological Seminary. Um, so uh, I've been in the role for quite a while now, and um, I am married uh, to my wife, Dr. Wanda Walborn, uh, who is also a professor at Alliance Theological Seminary and Nyack College. We have four grown children and four grandchildren and three grand dogs. So <laughs> that's a that's, little bit about me in a nutshell. That's beautiful. Um, so in on your uh, even on your uh, alliance uh, uh, page, your faculty page, uh, uh, you have given a little bit, a little taste of who you are, what you believe, and uh, what you've been doing. I, I, by the way, I did not know that you were a church planter. That's that's beautiful because my last couple of episodes have been about church planting, especially in New York City. We um, and those couple of people have planted churches here in New York and have worked with uh, Pastor Tim Keller. Um, mm -hmm. So it's, it's interesting. I, I will be talking about that in a minute. But on your page, you you have this uh, beautiful um, um, like article, uh, sort of like uh, your heart. And you talk about somewhere there you have this one paragraph and it says the, this loss of incarnational missional discipleship resulted in what has been called consumer Christianity. So what I want to do is I want to talk about in this uh, episode about consumer Christianity. It's been um, um, on my heart for some time, and uh, we are seeing, uh, um, uh, so recently I came across another talk by Pastor 
uh, MacArthur, and he was um, talking about uh, Pastor uh, Rick Warren and sort of like uh, pretty, pretty strong words against uh, um, his ministry philosophy. So I was like uh, taken back. Uh, both are very well-known, well-respected uh, uh, leaders in Christian community. Uh, but I, I get it. The issue was incarnational model uh, or attractional, not incarnational, uh, attractional model of uh, church where uh, the focus is uh, um, a seeker-friendly environment, uh, uh, focusing on those folks uh, as opposed to um, the other model where um, there are several other models, but the idea is, no, you just got to be expositional in your preaching, preach from the pulpit in, um, you know, uh, for your congregation, for the edification of the believers. So Sunday service is for them. So that's one subject uh, under uh, this idea of, con uh, you know, consumer uh, Christianity, but I want to hear your thoughts well, on. I, I, so you you said that uh, John MacArthur was taking shots at uh, Rick Warren. Oh yeah, big huh. time. Well, it's it's ironic because uh, you know they're both attractional. And, there you go. Um, <laughs> you see, this is yeah. so, this is. <laughs> so let me let me put okay, it in historical on. context. In historical context, uh, when Christianity was birthed. Uh, we were marginalized. We were not accepted. We were persecuted uh, for the first uh, 300, 400 years. Um, but when Constantine uh, announced that Christianity was going to be the state religion, the persecution ended and Christendom begins. And when I use the term Christendom, I don't believe it's a good term. Uh, it's where the state and Christianity and the church get in bed together and the church, I believe, in the process loses its prophetic voice. Now, the good news with that transition with Constantine is that the persecution ended and uh, you were free to you know, be a follower of Christ. But prior to that moment, we had had to live in a very incarnational, missional way. And the switch uh, went to attractional where we began to build our big cathedrals. And instead of going to the world, we said to the world, you come to us. And so no matter what your model of consumer Christianity is, uh, it's attractional. And John MacArthur built his mega church, big building. Um, and he's just as attractional. Uh, he, he's seeking a different kind of seeker than possibly Rick Warren is, but it's still this consumer Christianity, and uh, and it creates, I think, a passive discipleship. You know, people come to your church and they pay for a good sermon or a good children's ministry or a good youth ministry, and the minute your church doesn't service their needs, they pack their bags and they go someplace else. And so, you know, and whether it's a model of a Rick Warren, you know, seeker sensitive model, or whether it's an attractional model like John MacArthur, where he is trying to attract, you know, the student instinct people, the people that uh, like to think they're the only theologically correct ones in the world, um, you know, it attracts a different kind of crowd. And so they're both attractional Christianity, and they've lost their missional uh, kind of uh, incarnational sense. And I think when when Christianity gets pushed to the margins, 
when we lose our political influence, I think the good news is we get our prophetic voice back. And I feel like uh, we have a chance uh, in the church in America to pivot and to begin to recover some of what we've lost during the last uh, few decades. So you, you gave us some background of uh, this idea of uh, uh, Christendom and how attraction model came to be. Um, but, but unpack this, this phrase or this uh, term, consumer Christianity, for those who are listening to the, this podcast and they heard this term for the very first time, lay people. Um, yeah. so, so help us with this. Yeah, I think it's, um, it's the model where we are presenting services to people, not, uh, you know, a service from 10 to 11, but we are creating, um, you know, goods for them to consume, like a music ministry, or a worship ministry, or a choir, or a, um, or are the, the, the style and comfort of our facilities, and um, our children's ministry, our youth ministry, uh, anything that we're doing. Now, again, the goal behind it is to minister and encourage the body of Christ. But what happens is we are in essence doing all that for them. Uh, let me give you another example. My dad was a pastor and he was a pastor back in the sixties and the seventies in uh, Western Pennsylvania. And he had a church uh, in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania, that when he got there, there were 60 people and people started to get saved. People started to come to that church and they grew to over 400. And I was talking to him at one point about this growth many years later. And I said, dad, how many staff people did you have? He said, what do you mean staff people? I said, did you have a youth pastor? He said, no, we had three couples in the church that volunteered and, uh, you know, and we had over a hundred youth in our youth group. And I said, well, what about, you know, a music minister? Did you have a worship pastor? He said, no, you know, Tim Yoey was a local music teacher and he volunteered and led the choir and led the song service. And uh, I said, what about a secretary? Did you have a secretary? He, no, he said, your mother would come in on Tuesdays and we had women that would do the bulletins and, and it was all volunteer. And I realized that in that era, uh, the most precious commodity people had was their money and so they gave their time. And my dad grew a church to over 400 without any full-time. In fact, he was not on salary. He was a love offering pastor, okay? But in our world today, Alphonse, what was what's happened is now people's most precious commodity is their time, and they'd rather give their money to pay for someone else to do the ministry. Wow. And that that in essence has created a passivity in discipleship that I think is a direct result of this consumer Christianity. So I know that you are, uh, um, you have, first of all, you have great uh, background as a church planter and you taught and all that. But at uh, ATS, I know that one of the one of the reasons that ATS or uh, the denomination itself is so, um, so, so well known is that they train people all around the world, people, not just pastors, like I'm talking about lay people get trained by you guys. And I want to hear some of those uh, stories uh, 
uh, where uh, our American audience, uh, most of the people who are hearing uh, you through this podcast are American, I will say Caucasian. I will also say uh, um, interested in missions. Um, but then there are those who are listening and uh, they're like, oh, I'm just a lay person, do not know much. Uh, but this is how I've seen in my, my dad's church. This is what they have done. You had a staff member. Dad was paid staff because that's the common thing in in suburban churches in North America, at least right now. Um, you get paid. Uh, but give us some examples here and around the world where uh, the model that you shared with us, just just what you were talking about, uh, about your father, is still... Yeah carried by people and is producing re result fruit i'm not okay so here's my problem so we talk about so often we talk about let's not talk about uh, numerical growth but talk about spiritual growth people are growing spiritually but then yeah. the argument is if they are growing spiritually then it should show in your Absolutely. numbers too right Absolutely. so give us some clarity so folks who are hearing you today they and they 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 are used to the attractional model, but in your definition, it seems like almost every church that I have known uh, in the United States is attractional in that sense. So I, I just want to uh, give a little more um, okay. substance you, to this well, you, you asked You asked about Alliance Theological Seminary. Let me give you a little background there, and it'll kind of set the context for my answer. Um Alliance Theological Seminary was founded in 1960, not by theologians, but by missionaries, missionary anthropologists who knew that missionaries needed a deeper theological and biblical education. And so uh, ATS was founded primarily not to train theologians, but to make missionaries, people on mission, more theologically, biblically, you know, deep. And so from the very beginning, uh, integration has been part of the way we do seminary. And so, um, you know, it's always about certainly biblical and theological foundation, but now we've added spiritual formation because we don't want to graduate, you know, people who are brains on sticks. We want their, you know, hearts developed and their spirit developed. And then the missional component has always been a part of who we are. And so we have a, a church planting and renewal uh, concentration, an urban ministry concentration in our programs. And um, so, and right now, uh, what COVID meant for evil, God redeemed and did some good out of it. Because we, we now have cameras uh, in all of our classrooms and we live stream. And so we not only have an online program, but people from all over the world, including missionaries, can sign up to be an ATS student and take the classes by zooming in uh, into the classroom here in New York City. And so every class I teach there, I have on-site students, but I also have you know, students who are live streaming in from every state and from several different nations, and they participate in the class via Zoom. And so uh, again, as I said, what COVID meant for evil, God redeemed and brought good from it. Um, now back to your question. I do think that um, all of the churches in the West uh, have been infected with this consumer Christianity attractional model. 
And of course, there's a new movement called the missional church movement, where they're trying to recapture what does it mean to be on mission, to be incarnational, and not just um, putting you know, people into a pew to warm a pew seat. How do we get the body of Christ to be on mission, on the Missio Dei, the mission of God? And so uh, churches are now beginning to talk about it. And I think, um, you know, COVID also gave us another opportunity because suddenly our attractional Christianity was interrupted. Um, We couldn't gather crowds of 500, 1,000, 2,000 in a singular place. And so the church was forced to pivot. Now, some churches, I think, are going to learn the lessons of how do we do Christianity? How do we follow Jesus on mission um, and not just go back to normal? Uh, I think there's other churches that are so eager just to get back to normal, they've missed the opportunity to learn a lesson of how do we equip the body of Christ to be on mission together and not just sitting in a pew being entertained. Um, so I hope we can learn lessons from this. Yeah, and I, I agree with you. Um, it It is, it has created, at least the COVID-19 created a space for us to rethink how we do mm-hmm. ministry, right? Uh, rethink our ministry philosophy. But unfortunately, I'm also seeing, at least in these interviews, when I'm talking to different pastors and ministry leaders, including my own church, um, uh, we are trying to go back to normal. Um, mm-hmm. And and I I get get your point. That's the, it's, it's a shame that uh, rather than. Uh, uh, learning from so th- there are some things that will never change right uh, be- as a result of uh, covid-19 and that is we Calvary Baptist Church in New York City has been around for over 173 years four years something like this one of the first churches that had its own independent uh, radio station a lot of those first time things uh, uh, this church did um and for some reason it never had uh, video live stream and uh it just forced us to do that. Uh, for whatever reason, it never had that. We have all the equipments in the sanctuary. We had uh, one of the best uh, um, um, video editors, uh, uh, you know, working on that set. But we were not live streaming for some reason. But now that will happen. So that's a good thing. But the problem I see, and I, you brought this up again, is that we are not learning new lessons. We are not, uh, you know, we're not trying to change. Uh, and I'm not talking about Calvary alone. I'm talking about uh, majority churches that I'm speaking to or the leaders I'm talking right. to. They just want right. to go back to normal. Oh, this is how mm-hmm. we used to do. We just uh, want to uh, host our uh, services the way we did in the past, have our communion the way we did that. Um, those players needs to come out and uh, this is how we walked. Ushers needs to be back. And all the duties, all the committees, everything needs to be back where it was. So that's what we are missing, right? So the idea is that's what we are desiring and that's what we are missing rather than, okay, what God is creating. So the problem is there. People are looking forward to going back to what they believe to be uh, the 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 normal not new normal the the previous the what it was they just want to go back to that what do i need right. to do as a pastor what do other Great leaders best. church leaders needs to do 
Well, that, that's a great question. Let me let me respond by giving you a case study. Uh, I have a dear friend who pastors a church of 6,000 in Salem, Oregon, and uh, they're even more locked down there uh, than we are. And um, they're still not allowed to meet in their sanctuary, even I, I don't even think in social distance terms. But what they did is they pivoted to a house church model where they uh, intentionally discipled and raised up leaders of small groups, house churches, and they broke their six, 7,000 member congregation into small groups, small congregational house groups, and they poured into the leaders, the small P pastors over those groups. What they've discovered is that their people are flourishing. They're growing. The release of those small groups of missional communities has transformed this megachurch. And what my friend, the pastor, Steve, said to me is, we're never going to go back um, because we're seeing the body of Christ equipped and doing ministry in ways uh, now that we were missing before. And wow. so that's the that's the kind of lessons I think we've got to learn uh, coming out of COVID. And and in your opinion, not uh, the opinion of uh, your uh, seminary, rather just your opinion, those who fail to learn the, those lessons, fail to adjust to the new norm and capture uh, the the God-given opportunity out of this bad situation, what do you think, what's going to no, happen? I, 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 think, I think we've missed an opportunity, but I think we also have to recognize that our God is sovereign and he's in control and he can use any of us regardless of our models. And so uh, let me not degenerate into, you know, someone attacking Uh, let me say that I believe God is using John MacArthur and God is using Rick Warren and people are finding Christ in both those churches and all these churches. And so while the model may be flawed, guess what? I think probably all of our models are flawed <laughs> and God in well his gracious goodness chooses to use us anyhow. And so uh, I do think we can learn some lessons. I think we can uh, get better at doing discipleship and walking with Jesus and on mission with Jesus. Um, but at the same time, I am thankful for all the manifestations of the body of Christ around the world, regardless of what they look like. Jesus is being preached, and that's what's most important. So our podcast, the name of our podcast is Our urban voices and uh, ADSB uh, uh, is here in our city and probably the only seminary um, that has survived econ economical situation as a couple of other seminaries that I knew had their extension here, they closed. Um, the other one is Chosen People Ministry. They run their seminary over there in uh, Brooklyn, but that's very specialized and they have extension with uh, another seminary outside of New York. So my question to you is, um, how are you guys doing? Are, are you getting <laughs> students? Uh, do yeah. you have finances to stay here? You guys are yeah. in one of the most expensive areas in New York, like real New mm -hmm. York, you are in Manhattan. Um, yeah. So when you look at it, it, like even secular schools are struggling 
um, because the online school has become uh, popular. There are so many online, uh, you know, universities. So what is, how, how are you guys doing? Well, um, we're still standing. And uh, we believe that, you know, God is on the move. And uh, uh, we are already enrolling students for the fall, both at the college and the seminary. Uh, in addition to the, um, the campus that we have at 2 Washington Street, we have a new residence uh, dorm in Jersey City that is a 10-minute path ride from our, uh, our campus. And, um, and all of our sports teams are still active at the undergrad. And so, you know, we're making it. It's challenging. Uh, but Nyack College has been around for well over 100 years. And we believe that it's God's school not our school Amen. and that we're serving the mission of God. And we believe that, uh, you know, we've got some donors that have come around us in this season. They've really stepped up and helped us. Our alumni are stepping up and we believe that the, the best days are ahead for Nyack College and Alliance Theological Seminary. Amen. And so while, while things are difficult, uh, we believe as we remain faithful to God mm -hmm. and the mission that Jesus has given us, that he will be our protector, he'll be our covering, and uh, I think we'll be okay. Amen. And uh, uh, our listeners, uh, it, as you hear this testimony, what uh, you just heard from uh, Ron, the work of God continues, it's urban setting, it's New York City, it's Manhattan. Things are very expensive here, even a subway card. Uh, to travel from one corner to the other, you have to use subway card and that's keep increasing too. So you have students here when interested in learning God's word and here you have a school that is teaching and if uh, Lord leads you, please support the work of uh, uh, Alliance Seminary and Naya College. Um, here's a, a, a thought I've been struggling with actually. So uh, back to you, Ron. Um, the people who, the most of the folks who come to New York City to plant a church, there's a very high number who come very, when they come here, they get here, they're so excited, they're gonna plant a church. I am, I personally have at least four or five friends just in the last two years who got here uh, and then uh, super excited, got all the funding they needed, but when they got here, it was complete, um, humanly speaking, uh, failure. They rolled up everything and left. Um, but they were educated or they got their seminary education, college education uh, uh, from some of the best Bible colleges and uh, seminaries, but not in New York, not in this right. cultural setting. Um, how important is it to have that cultural awareness? Because New York City is not like any other city. It's a very unique right. city. And how your school, NIAC or Alliance Seminary can help people to be better equipped? Well, uh, what did Frank Sinatra say in his song, New York, New York? If you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. And, uh, and uh, what he was uh, meaning by that is that New York's not an easy uh, you know, setting to do anything. And, uh, but I think if you can learn the skills of this uh, capital of the world. I mean, it's it's just like the center uh, and you can find every culture on earth here. And um, I, I just think it's the most incredible, uh, you know, city there is. And that's why I think it's critical 
to have a seminary in the heart of this city because our students are in classrooms with every other people group. And so they're getting an education not only from their you know, professors and from their books and from their research, but from their fellow students. Uh, um, our seminary is the most diverse seminary, I think, in the world. And it's incredible. And I tell our students, take advantage of that because you are sitting in class with people that you don't go to church with because we tend to segregate when we go to church. But in the classroom at ATS, uh, we have, in essence, every tongue, tribe, and nation. And so it's an incredible opportunity to get an education in an urban center, center like New York City that I think will prepare you to contextualize the gospel faithfully anywhere in the world. And so that's why I'm such a big fan of ATS. And uh, there was a New York uh, Time magazine uh, published this uh, study, and they said there are 800 spoken languages here. So you, you, you're right. Uh, you got every people group, all kind of people here, and uh, some really good mission agencies who are also working here. Let me read this uh, excerpt as I close this time. It's from your uh, page on Nyack College website and you said there is silver silver lining however in the dark clouds the church is facing in the world today while we are now being marginalized at a seemingly faster rate than ever before we also have a chance to recapture our prophetic voice and incarnational christianity once again and that's my prayer and um, you wrote it, so I'm sure that's your prayer. It is prophetic Amen. voice right there. Um, as I close, I ask my guests to tell me a joke. So, Ron, I know you're a serious man doing a serious business of the Lord. Please tell me a joke. Uh, I tell you a joke. Okay, uh, let, me, let me think here for a minute. Um, oh, man. Uh, well, I'll, I'll tell you a story. Story is good. Used to tell. Yeah, that uh, he told the story of an old preacher who uh, had a guy that would come in to church and promptly fall asleep during his sermon every Sunday. And so one Sunday, this old preacher decided to get this guy and he warned uh, the older members that had heart conditions that he was going to do something a little shocking during the sermon. And in the middle of his sermon, sure enough, the guy falls asleep in the back and the preacher uh, in the middle of his sermon, yells, fire, fire. <laughs> and the guy jumps up and says, where? And the preacher says, in hell, if you don't wake up and listen. <laughs> so that's, that's a story my dad used to tell as a tribute to him. So, Oh, man, that's awesome. I just heard of another joke from another pastor right here. Oh, you know, actually, Bethel Gospel Assembly up in Harlem. Sure. And he told me a similar story, but it was different in a sense that this kid comes and uh, the two kids are like little kids that they're always fighting. So mom or dad took them to the pastor. Now pastor stared at the kid and he said, uh, and he just shouted like Pentecostal style, uh, where is God? The kid ran and it was a long, you know, story joke and a lot of anticipation he built. He did, he did tell a really good, his Storytelling technique was good, so he built a lot of anticipation before he gave me the answer. And it's like, kid ran back, hid himself under a bed. The other brother, mischievous one, comes like, what's happening? Oh, I got there, and the pastor is blaming us because God is missing. He's asking me, where's God? So <laughs> I, 
I thought that was funny. The way he said it was so cool too. So yeah, that's beautiful. These some of the old stories have uh, meaning and purpose and humor. I love it. Yes. So thank you so much for uh, being here. And again, uh, again, as always, uh, I'm looking forward to our next episode next week with another um, guest. Until then, God bless you all. God bless you, Alphonse. You've been listening to Our Urban Voices with Dr. Alphonse Javed, which presents Christian narratives through diverse voices that impact urban ministry. Please check back for new episodes every week.